Hello and welcome to Glass Ceiling, a startup daily podcast where we have a chat to some interesting people in the Australian tech and startup space who are not just straight white men. Uh, so my name is Gina Baldessari and I'm here with Matt Beachy, the founder of Startup Daily. Hello, Matt. Hello. How are you? I'm good. Good. Just having a burrito bowl. You are, yes. You do love, love a good Guzman well, they're the quickest one delivering on Deliveroo, so That's I true. always go for convenience. Yeah, food delivery apps, we love them. Uh, another thing, no, today. we're talking about makeup, aren't we? We are, we are. Um, I had a chat to Kate Morris, the founder of Adore Beauty, love recently. That love that one. Yeah, she's got a really, really interesting story. It's one of the, um, you know, a really successful e-commerce startup. In fact, don't know if we would really call it a startup anymore. It's, you know, she founded it when she was 19 years old. But there's also the interesting fact that she founded it, <coughs> sold a portion to Woolworths. Yep. Bought it back. Bought it back, yep. Grew it bigger. And um, those are always very interesting stories. Yeah. And, um, and it's, it's, a, <coughs> it's always interesting when you kind of like sell to a bigger partner. I mean, it happened with Vino Mofo as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, Vino Mofo didn't have, like, a, a Woolworths that they were going after. That's a huge, huge company, one of the biggest in Australia. Um, so I'm looking forward to hearing about um, how that process affected her and made her change her strategy and everything like that to what it is today. Yep, let's get into it. Okay, thank you so much for joining me. Um, My pleasure. The first question I have for you kind of goes back to the start of Adore Beauty. So I know that you um, famously sort of came up with the idea while you were working at a makeup counter. I guess mm-hmm. um, I was quite interested to know, you know, how did you, where did the idea for actually like an online store even, um, you know, come from? Um, what kind of um, exposure had you sort of had to um, e-commerce platforms at that time? You know, like 1999, 2000, they weren't exactly, like it wasn't exactly common to be like, yep, just going to buy something online? No, no, no. Look, it was pretty early days as far as e-commerce goes. Um, I really only, I mean, gosh, I feel like I'm showing my age here, but I really only got to start using the internet um, when I started university, which is 1997. And um, I was, you know, sort of as a bit of a beauty junkie, um, pretty much I would spend all of my spare time looking at makeup websites, really. And um, in the process, too, of also having my part-time uni job, which was um, on a makeup counter, as you say, I just, I guess that I sort of started putting two and two together in my head, particularly when um, I'd have so many people say to me how unpleasant they found the department store shopping experience and that it was, it was an intimidating environment and they felt that it was, you know, they'd often come away from it feeling like they'd been talked into buying products that they, you know, that were not quite right for them and they had this whole kind of beauty graveyard under the sink of things that they'd been bullied into purchasing and 
and to me, I guess, I, I just sort of started thinking, well, you know, beauty should be a thing that makes you feel like a superhero, you know, when you when you put that right lipstick on and you, you should feel fantastic and empowered and confident and ready to take on anything. And if this whole shopping experience is not making people feel that way, then something is not right. And I guess that was, you know, having... <laughs> wasting all of my all of my time when I should be studying looking at beauty websites I guess I started thinking gosh you know someone should really do this here in Australia we we need this um, women here would want this and I thought well why not me maybe I should give it a crack and what kinds of um, you know reaction did you get from from family and friends um, my my friends are pretty supportive um, I think they all thought I was a bit crackers but you know they <laughs> were me and, and everybody had all sorts of wild ideas and and um, like hey yeah sure why not start a beauty store on the internet go for it um, I think my, my family were probably a little bit horrified when um, I dropped out of my law degree so to tell that so to sort of follow that up with hey I'm also going to um, you know start a Start a beauty store on the internet. I think they're a little bit dubious about the whole thing, but um, you know, it's still very supportive. They just didn't really get where I was going with it. Um, I was very lucky though that uh, my boyfriend's dad was—he um, thought it was a great idea—and actually loaned me the money to to get started. And in terms of getting started, I mean, obviously the um, you know tech or startup community as it is now wasn't. Again, exactly. Oh, no, there was nothing. No, no, no. So what was your first sort of, you know, port of call to to start? You know, you've you've got some money behind you. Where do you actually start? Um, Well, look, (laughs) okay, if I want to build a website that sells beauty products, I'm going to need a website and it's a beauty product. So that was kind of <laughs> that was kind of where I started and um, ended up drawing. Um, I don't even know if they still have it, but the Green Guide in the Age, which is where because there were so few companies that could actually like build a website. That was certainly an e-commerce website. I think mm. the company that I got to build mine. This is the first e-commerce website they ever built. This was 1999. It wasn't like you could just go and you know. <laughs> put in your subscription for Shopify and have it all up and running yeah. in a week. Everything had to be built from scratch. Um, so there's st- look, it was just different back then. So that was, so on one hand, I was getting my website built and on the other hand, I was approaching beauty brands to try and talk them into letting me sell their products on my site, which yeah. I, yeah, I didn't think would be as difficult as it was. I know the again, like a, a famous sort of fact is that you didn't get Estee Lauder on until 2014, which you know, 14 like, years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what was your approach to these these beauty companies? What was the 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 sales process like? I suppose. Oh, it was pretty brutal. Um, the other on the upside, I did develop a pretty thick skin, which um, you know is a is a handy asset in the world of business. Um, look, there wasn't. It wasn't a warm response to the idea of e-commerce, and back then it was kind of seen as a little bit dodgy, um, you know. And a lot of the response from beauty brands was that no, this is not an appropriate place for a prestige brand to be sold. And so it was. There was a lot of rejection. Um, there was just a lot of, I mean, a lot of just 
non-response even. It was more that, yeah, the approach was, no, we don't sell our products on the internet. You know, mm-hmm. go away, please. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> some of them were nice about it and some of them were not nice. Um, yeah, look, I, I mean, in the end, I just had to turn. Find, I managed to find two tiny brands that were kind of desperate enough to actually take my money. And I thought, mm-hmm. okay, great. Well, now I've, I've got... I've got two brands. It was about 30 products. Now I can at least get the website finished because the website mm-hmm. wouldn't actually work if I didn't have products on it. Um, so once I'd actually done it and was able to, to show something to people there, then they could at least take a look. And, and after that, you know, I went back to all the ones that said no and got five more brands. Then I had seven. And then it was, yeah, rinse and repeat for the next, yeah, 14 odd years. <laughs> Yeah, but it was just a, it was just a very long, slow process of building up trust, and it was a pretty tall order, really. I mean, I was 21 and didn't have any particular connections or anything like that, and and I had to convince the entire beauty industry in Australia that e-commerce was a good thing and that customers would want it, and um, yeah, it just it took a, probably a lot longer than I'd anticipated. Yeah, and in terms of you know customers wanting that. Um, yeah, on that flip side, how did you go about starting to get customers on board? And again, as you said, like while the brands were kind of iffy about e-commerce, sure. um, on the customer side as well, obviously, um, you know, buying online wasn't um, as it is today. So what was that like? No. Um, look, that was that was challenging too. Um, a lot of my first customers are actually from the US, so they were quite interested to try these funny little obscure um, Australian beauty brands mm-hmm. that I had and obviously they'd embraced e-commerce a lot sooner over there and it kind of was in my favour that the dollar was at only about 52 cents US. So that was where my where a lot of my first customers came from. Um, but really it was a process of winning hearts and minds one by one. I mean, back then so many customers that ordered from me, this was the first website they'd ever bought anything from. Um, wow. And I guess what, what kept me going on that level was once people did get their order, like I'd gone through so much trouble to make sure that they were thrilled with it, um, you know, wrapping everything in tissue paper and putting a little mm-hmm. chocolate in the order, that they were so wrapped that they said, oh, this is fantastic. Now, if you could get this brand, this brand, and this brand, I'll never have to go into a department store again. So I knew I was on the right track, but it was just, yes, it, it was just, just a slow process for people to really understand why you would want to buy something online. Yeah, and, and in terms of that, I mean, as you mentioned, like putting the, 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 the chocolate, like the Tim Tam in the um in the yeah. in the package and uh-huh. as well like you've got um the, the foundation platform and the experts yep. that you can have a live chat to. So it's kind of like the you know, sort of the the um expert at the makeup counter who can help you in the department store but Online, how did you kind of bring that sort of, I guess, um, in person sort? You know, like it's not just a website. Like if someone wanted just yeah. to to buy, they could. But you've actually sort of brought that side of it into it as well. How did that sort of develop? To me, it was all that was always really important. Um, and I guess as a consumer centric business, if all you're giving each customer is a really kind of sterile, automated, you know, um, 
and his <laughs> unpersonal experience. Is that even a word? I just made it up. Um, you know, it's it's not very nice. It's thought, you know, mm-hmm. why? Just because we're a website or we're based online doesn't mean that it has to be impersonal. <clears throat> um, you know, you can put those nice personal touches in, and I think there's actually. Maybe sometimes there's even more opportunity to do it online. Um, but that was something that was always a focus of the business right from the start because I just didn't have enough money for marketing. I thought, well, goodness, if I actually manage to get a customer, I need to make sure that I keep them and, and hopefully for them to be so excited about their order that they'll tell somebody else. Um, there's, no, there's no social media to amplify anything. <laughs> I just put really, little on little business cards in the order like uh, with a message on the back saying, hey, you know, if you like this, can you please give this card to a friend um, in the hope that, that people would share it. You know, as as you, you mentioned, like your first sorts of customers were um, from the, the US, so you were kind of, you know, selling um, or looking globally from day one, which is something, yep. that, you know, is a common um, piece of advice that startups starting out these days are, are told. Um, sure. Yeah, how has that grown further? How did you expand the international presence? You know, look, it's been something that um, in the last couple of years, honestly, the growth in Australia has been so strong that we we haven't actually put that much effort into the international side of the business. We've had our hands full with, with what's happening here. Um, but I think if you can provide you can provide a good customer experience, a great product collection, and Create value through the way that you deliver your service. Then, why you know, from a customer's perspective, why would it matter where they are? Um, you know, if your if your overall product and, and value offering is good, then it works. Um, there are some additional challenges when you're looking at branded products, mainly because a lot of things do get locked up in um, sort of geographical distribution zones. So there are some uh, some of our brands, for instance, we're not authorised to ship outside of Australia. We both, you know, we've only got license to do that here. Um, but there's there's certainly lots of other interesting Australian brands that we have that do quite well internationally. It's um, been something that's always been fairly organic for us. Looking at your involvement in the um, you know business community, you've been quite outspoken about. Um, diversity or sort of lack thereof, I guess, in the, the tech sure. space. Um, uh-huh. And obviously the beauty industry skews quite female on the on the flip side. What's it been yep. like having a foot sort of, I guess, in, in both camps? And, um, yeah, the, have there, have, has it been quite different experiences? Yeah, look, I think, I think I will start off by saying that, you know, the Australian sort of tech slash startup scene is... It's not any anything like Silicon Valley. Like it's you know, I think Silicon Valley's got serious problems and it's not like that here. Um but yeah, it has been interesting to to have a foot in both camps. I mean beauty the beauty industry obviously has a very proud history of incredible female entrepreneurs. I mean, Estee Lauder, Elizabeth Arden, Helena Rubenstein, you know, all of all of the big um beauty brands you know, many of them are based on the efforts of a woman and was started by a woman. So there's respect, I guess, is a little easier to come by um, from a from a gender perspective. Um, being very young was quite difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably 
probably being young is maybe easier in tech than it is in beauty. Um, I think beauty there's there's a certain you know respect for gravitas, which is very difficult for a 21 year old junior student. Um, but look, I, I do notice it. I do notice it in in a lot of ways. And for instance, um, if we get invited to beauty events, they're most often during the day, you know, during work hours, it'll be for a lunch or or a breakfast that starts at eight or something like that. Um, whereas in the tech space, there'll most often be evening events where if you have family responsibilities, 6pm is an impossible time to get to an event because that's yeah. you know, bath time and bedtime and, and all that sort of thing for the kids. And, and so you do notice that sort of thing. Um, I think also to... Um, because there are so many women working in beauty, it's pretty hard to put together, uh, you know, a men-only panel in the beauty industry. <laughs> like you, you'd probably be struggling. Um, whereas in tech, uh, look, and and much less so this year. I mean, even just in the last twelve months, I've noticed that there's a there's a marked difference in how acceptable it is to put forward you know, say, a, a, you know, a conference schedule where there's not enough women speakers. It's, it's a thing that now people would notice, um, whereas, yes, yeah, usually it, it's not really well, less of an issue. Yeah, and there's a lot more initiatives as well, I guess, trying to, to boost the, the presence of women in the space as well, one of which is the um, Women in Tech Scholarship that yeah. you launched with Adore Beauty. Um, mm-hmm. What led you to, I mean, a lot of people, um, you know, talk about diversity in the space and, um, you know, like sign a pledge and stuff like that. But um, what led you to, to say, like, no, there's something I can, like, tangibly do about it? Look, I think once once you get to, this is just sort of my, my general belief about life, but once you find yourself in a position to... You know, you've, you've climbed up high enough that you can sort of turn around and help a few others up, then you've kind of got a, a you know, a moral and ethical responsibility to do that. Um, and I guess a lot of the efforts that I saw about improving things for women in the tech space, a lot of them are based around the assumption that you need six women. And I don't think that you do. <laughs> you know, there, there are often a lot of things about, oh, we need to, um, you know, get more women studying, um, you know, studying maths and science. And I think, well, yeah, that's, that's one approach that you could take. But the other approach is that for the women who are studying that, why don't you actually show them that there is a decent career path at the end of it that doesn't mean that you have to put up with, you know, bro culture and, and sexual harassment and, and, you know, there are that there are good and supportive and flexible places to build a career in technology. Um, you know, I can't, I can't help thinking that for women, when you look at what's going on in, you know, in the likes of Silicon Valley, then you think about that as a career, and why would you want to sign up for that? You know, that sounds horrible. Yeah. Um, so I guess my, I guess my goal with the scholarship, because you know, the, the key part of it, I mean, yes, is. There's some financial support uh, for studies, but um, one of the key points is a paid internship here at Adora, and, and this is, if anything, a female-skewed environment, and this is a, this is a wonderful place 
to build a career in technology and I want to support women in their careers and show them that, you know, it's not you, you don't have to put up with that kind of, you know, that kind of culture, um, that there are supportive places that you can work. Yeah, and in terms of building a, a supportive culture, um, how did you go about sort of, I guess, building and defining the, the culture of Adore Beauty? Um, it's really funny. I guess a sort of gender diversity was a problem that we only had ever experienced sort of from the other way. You know, at one point we had more Rebecca's than men. <laughs> it, was a, it wasn't ever about attracting women to our culture. Um, I think the way that we approach building culture here was really about defining and enunciating and sharing our set of values so that everybody that works here understands how we do things and understands the values that apply are applied to every decision that they have to make every day. Um, you know, one of those, I mean, for instance, one of the key ones is doing the right thing. And that means that we always do the right thing by our customers. So if we've broken a promise to them, that, you know, we make sure we fix that up. Um, doing the right thing always by our suppliers. We understand that, you know, business only works if everybody wins. And so it's not about, you know, trying to wield your market power to, you know, extract the last ounce of blood from a stone it's really about trying to create a win-win situation for everybody and doing the right thing by our team too and so that means you know if people have got family responsibilities or or there's mental health issues say or there's, there's any other things going on in people's lives that mean they need you know flexibility or um you know to be able to work from different places or work on different days or they need, you know, someone in the family's passed away and they need some time off. But that's that's not a thing that ever needs to be an issue. Um, mm-hmm. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't, you don't need to make drama out of that kind of stuff. You can just treat people like they're real people and say, hey, well, if this were me, what would I want my employer to do for me? Um, and that's, that's the way that we do things. And so... That culture, I think, in defining what those values are and why they're important has enabled us to grow from, you know, from being just me out of my garage to, um, <laughs> I just learned the other day we have 82 staff. I thought we only had about 70. But no. Wow. <laughs> 82, yeah. And what was it like for you, you know, going as a 21-year-old working by yourself out of your garage to, to starting to take staff on and, you know, learning how to, to manage them? Yeah, look, it's certainly been certainly been a steep learning curve, um, definitely at the start of the business, you know, it's, it's very lonely and depressing. I think I actually got clinical depression in the second year of it because it was <laughs> day by day by day slugging it out by yourself in your garage, you know, it's it's not fun and it's I'm glad for people now who are starting startups there's much more of a community around it and you don't have to feel like you're on your own. Um but my own role has obviously changed pretty dramatically from doing everything myself through to managing people through to more of even, you know, becoming a leader and, and being the person that sets the vision and the values for the business and there are other people who are now managing the day to day of things. Um, and that's that's pretty. It's a weird journey, but it's pretty awesome, to be honest. <laughs> it's 
every now and again I look around when we have our all hands meetings and uh, I think, wow, there's a lot of you guys. How cool is this? <laughs> yeah, it must be amazing to to look at something that you you know started yourself again as a very young person dropping out of uni to now you've got 82 staff. Yes, yeah, it's pretty wild. Um, yeah, it, it, it the the strange part was um, the strange part is when you realise that your company is now it's not part of you anymore. It is bigger than you, and it is its own entity, and you know, and it, and it's sort of a separate thing because I think you know when you start up your own business, it's you know, you know it's your baby and it's kind of part of you. And you don't really see any division between yourself and the business, but you get to a certain point and yeah, you realise this is just bigger than me now. A couple of years ago, um, obviously you got some investment from Woolworths and then bought that share back. Mm-hmm. But in yep. terms of working with such a huge corporate like Woolworths, what was that like? You know, going from again something that you were on yourself or with your team, then to you know a, an organisation that works in such a different way. Yeah, yeah. Um, look, I think the whole idea of having an investor um, at the start probably did my head in for a few months. Um, the idea that there was anyone else that I even had to report to was pretty odd <laughs> and, and challenging. And so that, for me, was probably the time when I realised that the business was you know, bigger than me and separate from me and had its own, you know, its own path that might not be the same as mine. And... Um, yeah, that, that was challenging. I, I mean, Woolies always actually really great to work with. Um, we got to work with fabulous people and they had very deliberately um, set out a strategy of making sure they didn't get in our way too much by layering all of this sort of extra bureaucracy on top. So um, I actually found it a really positive experience. It was good. I think it um, sort of enabled us to grow up a lot as a company. Um, there were sort of a lot of things that, you know, it was kind of time for the business to be doing around governance and, and making sure that, you know, you have proper contracts for everything and procedures for everything and and plans for, for all eventualities. Um, it was, look, it was, it was positive. It needed to happen. It was really good. Yeah. And looking to the future for you guys, obviously, Amazon is coming to Australia and you know, traditional bricks and mortar to e-commerce seem to be, well, according to the media, very scared. But um, what do you think um, Amazon's arrival um, will do for, you know, some people are saying that it's actually quite a good opportunity for local businesses to, you know, um, learn more or or step up their game. How do you feel about it? Oh, the way I feel about competition generally is that it forces you to be better. Um, I do feel like one of the key strengths and one of the things that has enabled us all to grow over the last 17 years is having that constant sense of threat and waking up every day thinking, oh my goodness, what are we going to do today to be better because otherwise we might not survive. You know, that in some ways, in some ways that's actually kind of a healthy way to grow the business because if you're always terrified of being disrupted, you have to stay ahead of things. Um, and I guess that's the way we approach everything. Every day we get up and think, right, okay, what can we do today that none of our competitors are not going to bother to do for our customers? Um, I, you know, I, I think it makes you better. I think it, it 
you know, it gives everybody sort of a bit of a kick up the proverbial. It's probably a good thing. <laughs> So that was Kate Morris with the story of Adore Beauty. It's a great story. I love it. Not a bad not a bad story for the second episode of Glass Ceiling for the year. There will be many more to come, so stay tuned. Subscribe um, to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher or wherever you're listening to Glass Ceiling. Tell your friends and rate and review it. Um, for everything else, head to startupdaily.net where you can find all our articles, videos, other podcasts, including Startup Meet Corporate. So much content. Get to it. 